Welcome to Your Thoughts Podcast. Today I have Gus and we've got Harley as the co-host. That's me. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> so what uh, topic did you want to talk about today, Gus? Uh, primarily <laughs> just the life of being a registered sex offender. Is that something you talk about a lot or is it something that you kind of normally don't have the opportunity to talk about? It really depends on the person. Um, you know, some people, especially at work, you try and hide it, I guess. Um, just because, well, at work we have a lot of other convicted felons that always talk about beating the shit out of sex offenders in prison and how they treat them and how they're pieces of shit and a bunch of negativity towards them. Um you know, there's no real opportunity to get your voice out about um, being registered. But, you know, every so often you get the chance, and, well, this is one that I'd like to take. Yeah. Well, here we are. Yeah. So, I guess let's start with how you ended up as a registered sex offender, and then we'll talk about what life has been like. Okay. Um, back in 2017, I was convicted of battery with intent to commit a serious felony. In 2016, I attempted to hook up with a 16-year-old while I was 19, which would coincidentally fall under the Romeo and Juliet law. But because of the three-year and three-month difference between our ages, I didn't fall under that law, so I was convicted and tried as a registered sex offender and rapist. So it's three years, that's the line? Yeah, uh, three years is the maximum limit in Idaho. Um, and they really give absolutely no leeway there. How long, um, well, just the way you describe it, you said it was just a hookup, so you didn't know this girl very well, or did you know her well, or? No, I, I met her actually here near my house at a party, getting drunk and hooking up with other people. Um, now I don't want to talk negatively about her, I don't know, um, any of her ideas, (laughs) any of her actions. I only know what I did. So I guess um, the next question would be, um, was it her parents got involved? Was it her saying that some line was crossed? Like, how did that turn into a... Yeah, her her parents got involved. Um, Her mom was the one that formally pressed the charges, took her to the hospital, and got all the tests done. Which, um, you know, they go to the hospital, they do a rape test, a rape kit, 
and that came back negative. Mm -hmm. So they only had word of mouth, but because she was a minor, they still pursued the charge. Well, I mean, I can kind of relate because I, when I was 16, I was in a relationship with someone that was 19 years old. And it was, for me, it was a lot of hiding also because, yeah. you know, I didn't want my parents to know because I didn't want, you know, to put that person in that position un unbeknownst to them. Um, but... Could have just said something. Yeah, I'm <laughs> watching it. But you keep turning your head. Oh, my bad. It's all good. <laughs> I gotta turn and talk to you know. I, I know. <laughs> but anyway, um, so I can relate kind of to the girl in that sense, and knowing like kind of at that age how, um, you're not in control of that, and I'm sure if my mom wanted to, she could have definitely tried to pursue charges on this person but instead because of just because of how things worked out that never ended up happening but if one wrong move of the person I was in a relationship of, with um, he could have very well been in the same position that you're in. Uh, and in in Idaho it's it's a very strange state to be in because they're pro-women so 90% of the time they're going to believe the women over the men. It doesn't matter who's right or wrong. And I honestly feel like I was um, not targeted, but um, I, didn't, I didn't have anything in my defense. You didn't have a chance. I had the victim, which was obviously female the victim's mother who reported it, the judge was female, and the prosecuting attorney were female. So anything I stated, they turned to make me look like a woman hater. Turned into a he said, she said situation. Yeah. I think that's probably one of the hardest things in terms of that, because I know... Um, Tyler had mentioned to me that you have to take a polygraph test, which is a little wild to me because things like that aren't admissible in court. No. Um, and so... So what's the point? Yeah. So what's... It, well, it's one of those things. It's uh, It again goes back to the whole reason he was charged. was It was a he said, she said situation. It was because mom didn't like what was going on, so mom felt the need to step in and say something, and the court just took her side. Yeah, the whole situation is crazy to me personally, like with my own personal experiences, because when I was like 17 turned 18, I was dating a girl that was like three years younger than me, four years younger than me. She was a lot younger than me. And I could be in the same situation as you. And a lot of people could be in the same situation as you. Yeah. Um, so going back to the polygraphs, it's, you're correct, it's not admissible in court in Idaho. Um, I don't think it is anywhere anymore. But for probation and parole and for treatment, it's all up to your PO. So if my PO feels like I'm lying and I can't pass that polygraph, 
he can say I'm, uh, um, what's the term? I'm not amenable to treatment. Not, you're non-compliant, would that be the term? Well, it's, it's not amenable to treatment. Mm-hmm. So I can't be treated, so they just send me back to jail or, worst case, prison. They can't rehabilitate. So they, yeah. That sounds like manipulation. It It is manipulation. Yeah. Um, Interesting. P- POs are typically in that position, though, of they're they're in charge of your life, so yeah. it's it's their their decision ultimately. Yeah, but they honestly do try and be your friend. Um, I mean, it's honestly it's a case by case basis. Every PO officer is gonna be completely different. I've known lots of different people that were on probation and have completely different experiences. Uh, I know. There's there's one PO in the division that I don't know of anyone who likes him. He's just a stickler. And then there's my PO, which is kind of an intermediate. He's a good guy. I like having him. And then there's one PO that's just lax mm. and doesn't care, and he'll help you with whatever you need. So it it really depends on who you get, how you treat them you know, what you do, you know, because actions speak louder than words. Yeah. So, you know, I I can say I've screwed up once or twice, and I've gone to jail for it, but I've learned. And, you know, I felt, I feel if my PO had just let me be free, say, put an ankle monitor on me and slap on the wrist, I wouldn't have learned from that. But because he did what he should have, you know, I learned from that experience and I know that they're not joking around and it's really something I should be focused on um, taking care of and following through with. So when you were charged, were you automatically put on probation or did you have to spend time in prison or jail? as, As soon as you are sentenced, you are automatically on probation even that said, I still got jail time. Mm-hmm. So I spent six months in the Canyon County Jail, and I was on probation. What was that like as somebody who's in jail as a sex offender? It's not as bad anymore, honestly. Um, they are, they really have us separated out now. Mm-hmm. Um, each jail has their own um, cell block or cell unit for SOs um, so you're not mixed in with everyone else who automatically assumes the worst and thinks mm-hmm. the worst and honestly it's kind of funny because being separated with all the SOs we're always the nicest groups we're always the nicest units you know we all know what we're there for and we don't bother each other What's what's something that you wish more people knew about the process that maybe people don't necessarily know or you th- maybe something that you think is unfair that should be changed? Um, I guess in general, the whole system. Um, you know, in Idaho, it's a catch-all. If you're caught urinating in public, it could be a sex offense. And say you are caught urinating in public, uh, 
suddenly you're treated like someone who downloaded child pornography or molested a two-year-old or, you know, you're treated just the same as everyone else. You get all the same restrictions. So across the board, as a registered sex offender, they treat you all the same, like, say, if you did something with a kid as opposed to, like, your situation where slightly different they just treat it all the same yeah so even though my charge had nothing to do with the internet i'm not allowed to access the internet you know that it's it's just something i'm not allowed to do because they feel that even though i never officially raped my victim i might go looking for other minors on the internet to try and find and make victims. Um, yeah, they... Are there any, like, workarounds with that? Is there, like, for example, like, if, I mean, you have to have a job, what if your job requires you to use the internet in some way? Is that just still not allowed whatsoever, or is there so, are there workarounds? So, right now, I have a flip phone because I'm not allowed to have a smartphone that's internet-capable. Wow. Um, and my job requires me to clock in and out, um, through an app Mm -hmm. that everyone accesses through their smartphone. Well, my boss has to manually clock me in and out because I don't have that capability. But if you pass an internet history polygraph and you talk to your PO about it and you talk to your counselor about it, you can actually get um, addendums filed um, to have a smartphone and to have internet access but it's all very restricted sounds like a lot of work and yeah it's it's a lot of work to have done and if you have one little slip up that goes away immediately for the remainder of your probation so is there a certain amount of time to where you can apply for that Um, the first thing treatment requires you to do is pass a victim history polygraph to make sure there were no more than the, um, accounted victims that you were charged for. From there, it's up to your PO and your counselor whether or not you can move on and get, um, these addendums filed. How long are you on probation for? 15 years. Is there any way to lower that or make it shorter? Is that completely up to your PO? Supposedly, you can get off early for doing good and not having any mess-ups. I don't know how true that is. That's just been the general rumor. Um, I only have three years supervised. I have 12 unsupervised which means I don't have to do the monthly check-ins. I don't have to do UAs. Um, this is all as is far UA as... Is UA a urine analysis? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, this is just as far as I know. I can't confirm it because I'm not there yet. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, supposedly uh, after... Since I have 15 years after... Um, six and a half to seven years, I can go in and I can actually go back to court 
and say, look, I've been doing good. I feel this is the reason I should be let off early. You know, this, this, and this has happened, and I've taken care of treatment, and I've completed supervised probation, and I've done all this. Um, but the judge can still say, no, you know, we, mm-hmm. we still want you on the full 15. Right. Um, which means I won't be off probation until I'm 35. You mentioned also that you had a counselor. Do they require counseling after you're charged? Yeah, so registered sex offenders have to complete an outpatient counseling treatment program, which I find a little... um, Oh, what's the word? Um, Inconsistent. Um, Because you can't actually go through treatment while you're in prison. Mm -hmm. Um, Cottonwood up north actually has a treatment program. But once you get out of Cottonwood, that's all null and void. You have to restart everything and do it all over again. So they give you counseling inside jail and then they send you out and you have to restart counseling? Yeah. And they do they not reference anything that you did in jail or they they touch on a few of the subjects but any of the work you did anything you learned from there it's pretty much most yeah most of it you just never use again and you start over on this whole new treatment program well speaking from somebody that um it sounds to do- like going to another therapist. Yeah, I was going to say, speaking from somebody that as a child, I was forced to go into counseling and things like that for different reasons. But I also know like how different counselors are, like case by case basis and how when you're going through counseling, like you're working on yourself. And when you completely switch up who you're talking to it can completely change they have no backstory they yeah have to they can completely change how you how much progress you had made over on whatever it was that you were trying to make progress on so yeah. i think that's yeah and for for the most part um counseling is a group system okay where you know you sit down in a group it's average 10 guys You know, you're all there for different charges, but you're all there for the same counseling. Mm. Um, And the therapist will actually sit down with you on -on one-on-one sessions, and she goes through on uh, a more personal basis and says, okay, you know, due to your past, due to your charge, this is what I want you to complete, which might be drastically different from the guy next to you in group. But it really does touch on what you need to focus on. And even though it may be different from what the guy next to you has, he may still learn something when you present your work. Or you may learn something from him, vice versa. Um, you know, it, it it's not a terrible system, but the counselor's have as almost as much power as your PO does to get you sent back to prison. Mm. Um, and I keep being told by family that I need to find a personal counselor because the one 
through the treatment program is there for the state. They're there to make sure that all of the inmates are treated the way the state wants them to be treated. They learn what the state wants them to learn. And they'll hold you accountable to things that may or may not have happened through polygraphs and general information. So it's less psychoanalytic and more judicially based, I guess? Yeah. Yeah, anything it's you an disclose... I would, say, I would almost say it's more financially based. Well, I don't... I mean, how many... I always wonder about this, is like how many people that aren't, you know, at the poverty level that I assume most people in this room are at, like how many people above that actually get charged with, you know, things like this, like say if he was in a better position, you know, financially or what have you, like maybe could have gotten a better lawyer and maybe he could have fought it better. So it's one of those things like if they can keep making money off of the same person, then they will. Uh, it's not necessarily financial, um, because I was in a much better position before this happened. Mm -hmm. I think that would be more attributed to drug crimes. Yeah. Um, I just think of it well, in general, in terms of the ju judici judiciary system. I, I think that's the, the funny part about it, is... Before any of this happened, I had a full-time job as a security guard. You know, I was working for the state capitol. I was working for large corporations around here, um, warehouses. Um, we worked for Bayer Pharmaceuticals. Um, you know, I did a bunch of um, big financial um, companies I had my own house, I had my own car, I was doing well, and then I got charged, I lost my job, I lost my car, I lost my house, um, and I had never done drugs up until being charged. I got out on bail, mm -hmm. and that's what led me to doing everything under the sun, and I did whatever I could get a hold of. I spent six months on meth, I spent three months on heroin, I spent four months on coke. Um, you know, I did. if I could get a hold of it, I was doing it, because I knew I was going back to jail. So at that point, it was just do whatever you can, Yeah, just to it, experience it, because... It wasn't worth it to try and stay clean and to not do anything, because I lost the job I loved... I lost everything, so I dug a deeper hole and did what I could to enjoy my life. What made you stop? Was it parole? Uh, going to jail, yeah. Yeah, yeah once I went back to jail, um, I sobered up and... So I've you did been this in-between getting charged and going to jail or was this yeah i was on bail oh. for six months um they arrested me um i bailed out with a hundred thousand dollar bond jesus 
and then I was on bail for six months due to Idaho's right to a speedy trial, which is a limitation of six months, whereas Oregon is two. Um, two months? Yeah. Yeah. I think Washington's three, but Idaho has this ridiculously long span for some reason. Um, so I was out on bail for six months. You know, I was tweaking, I was thieving, I was doing a bunch of shit I shouldn't have been. Digging a deeper hole, yeah. as you say. And going back to jail is what cleaned me up, because I didn't have access to any of that. But even then, in jail, if I really wanted, I had access to opiates. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it... It's such a screwed system that would drive someone to be a clean, outstanding member of society like I had been into a drug life, into jail and imprisonment for a he-said-she-said situation. So what evidence did they have that led to the charge? Well, at the time, I was a good, honest person, so I told the detective what had happened, trying to be that good, honest person. You shot yourself in the foot. Yeah. Oh, yeah, big time. Um, knowing what I know now, I'm kicking myself for not shutting up and letting the detective find out on her own you know, making her do her part of the job mm-hmm. instead of just blurting it all out and then my lawyer telling me, oh, you kind of screwed yourself. You confessed at that point. At that point, they had everything they needed. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. Now, I, I do believe what I did was wrong in the first place. I mean, I... It's obvious. Um, You know, I was an adult at that point trying to hook up and have sex with a 16-year-old. And I really do think treatment's helping realize that. But the way they do it could be obtained through a much better method. Um, than how the system's set up now. I I personally think, I think the biggest thing for me that I think is like just a little messed up is the shame that's attached to it. Like the... The bec- automatic like thought of, oh, this is a child molester. Yeah, the, as soon as somebody's on that list, they're automatically a bad person. It doesn't matter what happened. Um, all that's listed on there is what you were charged with. That doesn't give that doesn't give the story. You'd, nobody's going to know what exactly happened. Nobody's going to be able to formulate their own opinion on yeah. the situation. So it's automatically like you feel like you have to hide. You feel like you have to, like I asked you earlier, if you talked about it and something you feel like you can't talk about in a normal space because people are automatically going to assume you're a bad person. And that's true. I mean, it's it's that automatic thought of, you know, oh, he must have done something really bad, otherwise he wouldn't be on this list. Mm-hmm. 
well, in, you know, my example earlier, you get caught pissing in public. And for Idaho, registry is for life. Mm-hmm. You don't get to get off of registry. You may be able to get off of probation. You may complete probation perfectly, but you still have to go in and register each year, and you have to pay the fees, and you have to list within two business days change of job, change of address, vehicles, tattoos, scars, piercings, marks. Um, I don't know where it got moved. There was a trifold sheet of paper. Right over there. That has... Behind the lotion. Yes. Yeah. It's what the DMV prints out for you. That lists everything you have to go through and everything you have to follow up with within Even a certain amount of time. volunteer. Yeah. College, um, which is very hard to get into. Scars, marks, tattoos. Yeah. Um... And Physical address located on tribal lands. Interesting. Yeah, you have to go through every little detail of your life for the rest of your life. Is this all vehicles you've ever owned or all the vehicles you own currently? No, it's all current vehicles. Um, and you have to list which one would be your primary vehicle. You have to have insurance at all times, you know, uh, basic legal minimum. But, you know, say a few months ago I totaled one of my vehicles out. And if I hadn't gone down and reported it, I could have gotten a parole violation. That you didn't report that you got in a car that accident? I, yeah, that I had no longer owned that vehicle. So it's... It's almost like they're just... They want to know everything about your life. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they they want as much information about your life as you can possibly give them. And sometimes even that's not enough. You How know. so? Well, you're not allowed to stay the night anywhere but your house. Um, you know, obviously you can't drink or smoke due to probation... But if I were to get off of probation, I would have to fight Oregon and Idaho if I wanted to move to Oregon. And if I were to go out drinking for a night, I would have to make it back to my house by no by any means necessary. Um, you can't crash out at a buddy's place. You can't rent a hotel for the night you have to keep the registry up to date with anything you do so you couldn't even like make a drive up to Coeur d'Alene and go camping if you wanted to I would have to update registry I would um you know one of my friends who is also on registry went to uh, California for a vacation as a work business trip and he has to register in California because he's going to be there more than seven days. So he has to register on their sex offender registry there? Yeah, and he has to follow their rules. 
which means he'll have an ankle monitor for those seven days because every SO in California is monitored. Mm -hmm. So when you move states, you have to follow those states' laws Yeah. for the, their registry. That's so in, in order for me to move to Oregon, I would have to contact the counties, the county of my place of residence and get permission to move there. Then I would have to contact Idaho and get permission to move. And I would have to move there under the conditions that I already have a job there or that I have family to be living with. So you have to have a reason? Yeah. I can't just move there to start over. It's that, um, that just makes me again think of the whole shame thing attached to it. It's like they want to continue making you pay you for forget. yeah they want to continue making you pay for something that you may have done 20 30 40 years ago yeah and i know financially, guys socially mentally i know guys that have spent you know 20 30 years in prison and you know they're 50 now they get out of prison and they don't know what to do with themselves yeah. because you know, they go downtown Boise and think, why is, why are none of the women wearing clothes anymore? <laughs> you know. Times change a lot. Everything changes around them, and they're just thrown back into the world and expected to Technology change, society as a whole live. change, changes. Yeah. Even just over a five-year period. Yeah. They're expected to live up to these standards without knowing what anything is that's going on in the world. Yeah. You that's know, why I think that's a big reason why our recidivism rates are as high as they are, which is just, you know. It's easier to go back. It's easier to go back for somebody that has been in that in there for so long. And at that point, jail is or prison is home for them. That's, it's what, how, they that's what they know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's much easier to live in a place you're comfortable with. So then they're more likely to go out and just commit the same crime again because they know that'll get them back to the place where they felt comfortable. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I was reading about recidivism uh, within this specific charge um, and just life outside of that, what people have to deal with, like, uh, people vandalizing your houses, your cars, uh, just harassing you coming to your house cause your address is there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's yeah, listed I, online. So anybody could come knock on your door. I haven't personally experienced it. Um, none of my neighbors know. You know, but that is definitely something that could happen. You can look up as much detail about said person as you want mm -hmm. and then go get revenge or, you know, go enact something against them because it's all out there mm -hmm. and you don't have a choice. You know, one of the first things they told me... Um, when I was sentenced is that my uh, Fifth Amendment is revoked. I no longer have the choice to use the Fifth Amendment um, in court or against my PO or against my treatment provider. Um, 
you know, we just, you, we don't get that. You're, you essentially become a secondary citizen. Yeah. Because you're, you're not allowed to have the same privileges as, just to phrase it in a certain way, that me or anybody else would have who hasn't committed or who hasn't, isn't on the sex registry list. Your Fourth Amendment as well. Yeah. So they can look at all your stuff now. Um, as well as second. I was going to, that was what I was about to say. And, I was like, I'm sure you're not um, allowed to own any guns. And even but, first in the context of having social media. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, second and fifth amendments are just due to becoming a felon, not specifically an SO. Um, the rest of them are all specific to SOs. You know, SOs are treated so much differently I would argue almost worse than someone that's committed just a general felony. Yeah, I think people that have murdered somebody are probably looked at better than Honestly, sex offenders. Honestly, um, I have, um, I'm not going to say who, but a family member of mine is actually married to someone that um, went to jail for a long time for attempted murder. And um, people are way less likely to know that about him even though that's in my mind probably way more serious of a crime way more violent of a crime versus what happened to you and that's going to follow you for the rest of your life well and there there's uh there's another point that i want to point out he was committed for attempted murder but did he have to take a polygraph nope. to see if he tried that to anyone else nope exactly it's that's why i'd say like arguably enough like you guys are treated worse because I mean, yeah, he has his own problems, but he, like you said, he doesn't have to go in every single month to get a picture taken and to have his address bla- plastered online for everybody to see because of one mistake he made when he was younger. I'm sure you can find the charge, though. Well, and the, I mean, if you really looked. Yeah, the, but that's, it's just different. One of the yeah. newest technologies they have, specifically to ID, ID SOs, is retinal scanning. I was the, I was the guinea pig at the DMV for retinal scanning to ID SOs easier hmm. because all they have to do is put you in front of the camera and it'll match up Your with retinas, who you are. Yeah. yeah. It is interesting. It's a very fancy technology, but but it's what's the reasoning? You know, like, why do they need that when they have already have everything else on you? Like, you have to mark, if you have to keep up with everything, like you said, two business days to tell them even if you freaking f- fell down and now you got a big gash on your face. Now you got to tell them that you got possibly have a scar on your face. And, like, so why do they need your retinas? Yeah. You know? You know, and one of the... One of the more annoying things is the the fees that come along with it. I mean, obviously, uh, you have to pay restitution to the victim because you were charged. You have to pay all court costs. Um, You have to pay treatment four times a month plus your individual. So 45 bucks a week plus a $75 individual each month you have to pay your cost of supervision which is 60 a month you have to pay um, registration fees which is 80 annually jeez you know most of your paycheck gets taken 
for all this stuff that you are required to do. And this is only the first three years, right? Yeah. Or you go back to jail. Right. You know, it's it. you're paying for your freedom. And I, I just don't think that's the right way to do things. I do mean, you know... So you're two years in, right? Yeah. So you would have one more year of paying all of these restitutions, and then do you know what gets taken out of that after? Um, from there, um, I hope to be done with treatment here within the next few months. Um, it just it, it depends on how fast and how hard you work at it. Um, but and then they have to approve that you're done with it too, right? Yeah. Well, and once you you complete treatment, complete, they give you a certificate of completion, and then you have to go back to treatment for maintenance. You have maintenance groups, and you have maintenance polygraphs that I think span as long as you're on registry. So anywhere from 15 years to life? Yeah. So, you know, I'll always be paying that amount for, I mean, albeit a little, it's not as constant, it's not as a heavy burden, but you still have to pay. Right. You know, you may get off of um, probation, you know, I may be 36 and be off of probation, so I don't have to pay that fee anymore. But from my knowledge, I'll still have to pay maintenance and polygraph tests. So you'll be paying the state for the rest of your life? Yeah. For you one mistake you to, made when you were 19. You still have to take the polygraph test as well? Yeah. Yeah, you have to pass a polygraph every time or it goes back to your probation officer and then they just put you back on yep i can hear the phone waves <laughs> phone waves <laughs> yeah you can you can hear the radio waves in the audio oh well i guess i'll move it over there then <laughs> um yeah i mean you end up I I haven't calculated how much annually it costs, but I wouldn't. Want I mean, to. you think forty-five bucks a week plus an additional seventy-five a month for twelve months alone is a huge sum. Well, I mean, I kind of touched on it earlier in terms of like how much more this hurts you if you are not financially inclined, like. I mean, if he was, you know, if he happened to have a family that made more money or happened to just make more money himself, would it wouldn't be as big of a hassle or as big as a problem as it is for him now. It, or even if me personally, even working, you know, a full time job making more than minimum wage, I would still have problems. I still have problems like being able to buy food. Like, I can't even imagine, like, having to pay court fees every week, every month, or what have you that you have to pay. Well, and 
you know, I'm making almost double minimum wage. I'm at 12 an hour. Minimum wage is like seven something. Yeah, seven twenty-five here. And you know, my paychecks only come out to two hundred bucks. Two hundred every two weeks. Because not only did I lose the go- the great job I had and that I loved, being a security guard, but now I have this name that's attached that dictates where I can work, who wants to hire me, you know, um, even picking up a second job, I can't just go work at fast food because so many fast food retailers hire minors now. And you can't work with minors. Yeah. You know, that's, that's a big issue. So I have to find work most generally in the labor industry. Have you had a hard time doing so? Oh, yeah. Um, I've been searching for a new job for the past month because my current job just isn't working enough hours. And you just never hear back. Um, you know, sometimes you'll hear back or sometimes you'll get a pre-employment application and a pre-employment interview. And then then they do a background check. Yeah, you just hear nothing. You know, I can never be a security guard again. Um, I can never work. I can't say never because there are workarounds, but you can't work fast food. Um, You can't work within so many feet of a daycare or a school. You can't work within so many feet of a college. Um... You know, I can't go to the library because it's a place meant for kids. You can't go to parks either? No. You can't go to parks. You can't go to theme parks. You can't go to... No Disneyland? Disneyland. (laughs) No. Um, Ever? There's there's certain workarounds, but it's... It's work. It's It's not something that he could just go do. Like yeah, the rest of you us can't could. you can't just go enjoy it. You have to do a bunch of work and then worry about everything while you're there. Um, it's a constant anxiety. Yeah, um, you know I'm not. I'm living where I'm at now because all these new apartments are opening up, but they're all close to schools or parks or daycares, and I'm ju- I just can't live there. I'm not allowed yeah. to. And it's your responsibility to make sure that you're not, to make sure that you're compliant. Yeah. I think I read that in Idaho, they don't force you to move out if the school gets built, though, or something like that. I Do you know? I don't know how true that is. Um, I did have a concern because the city was working in what's essentially my backyard, and I had heard propositions of a park going in there. Well, I had to call three different city services getting bounced between each one to tell me that, no, there's not actually a park getting there. You know, there's no park being put in there. But if future development were to happen, I would most likely have to move. You have to work around everyone else. Yeah. And, you know, the best question is, move to where? Well, especially with how much Idaho's growing right now, like, 
everything's being built on top of everything. So the only way you'd be able to like make sure 100% is move in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. No. And that's no fun. Even then, you have to stay within, you know, certain regulations. Everything still has to be approved. Yeah. You know, one of the big things is you can't move into, um, you can't live out of a camper because it's too easy to pick up and move without notice. Um, I know they're real... to live in a camper, that'd be really crappy. They're real finicky about trailer homes, you know, single wides, double wides, because the same thing, unless they're on a foundation... You can move it. They're too easy to pick up and move. Um, so, you know, finding... I've thought many times about just trying to buy a single wide and have my own house, but trying to find one in good condition within your price range and on a piece of land that they'll allow you to live on is a lot of hoops to jump through. near impossible. Yeah. Um, that's even if they actually want to help you. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they could say no for whatever reason they want. You know, my PO could tell me no just because he doesn't want me to move out of where I'm at now. He could just be in a bad mood that day. Yeah. Um, you know, he's never done anything like that to me. He's always been okay with my choices. Um, but he could tell me that well, he has told me I need to find a new job um, because this one's just not paying enough and it's too inconsistent and, you know, they've tried to send me out of state for work and I can't leave the state. You know, it it's just a pain to work around everything. Um... We're at 50 minutes. we still got some time. Um, the One so, of the other big subjects I wanted to touch on was relationships. Okay. Oh, that was something I wanted to ask you about, yeah. Um, you know, in a, you know with, with modern relationships, you know, there's hookups, there's one-night stands, there's quick and short, there's some that last forever but being an SO you know you can't go to parks you can't go to the library it's it's real iffy on whether or not you can go to the farmer's market you can't go to bars yeah you can't go out to bars um you know I can go to a hookah bar but that's it you know I can't go to the dispensary in Oregon um, so trying to meet people is the first hurdle. Well, lots of people meet online nowadays, too, yeah. and you can't even do that. Yeah, I mean, with dating sites, uh, it's a big majority on how people meet nowadays, and, you know, if you can get over that hurdle, you're lucky, but most of my, um, introductions with people are through 
third parties, you know, friends of friends. And, you know, hooray, I've gotten over the hurdle of meeting someone new. Well, now you have to decide when the right time to tell them you're a sex offender is. Yeah. Yep. Because if you wait too long, they might say, oh, you were hiding this from me. Why were you hiding it from me? I don't trust you. Or you could tell them too early on in your friendship and they could just, yeah, you know, they just run off and you never hear from them again. But if you're lucky enough to find someone who doesn't care or can accept it, you then have to go through treatment and your probation officer and they they have to meet said person you know they have to have a, a one-on-one kind of an interview yeah like vet them yeah jesus um then they have to approve of the relationship in which you're not allowed to have sex you can be in a relationship you can't live together can't have sex um and they monitor that by making yeah, you take polygraphs they, they monitor it um, and I know as you get further on in the relationship, you can move in and you can have sex and have a normal relationship. Is that also only within the first three months of probation or is that the entire time no, of probation? No, that's the entire time. So like 15 years? Yeah. Yeah, it has to go through this process every time. And, you know, it it's... It's a huge pain just meeting the person. You know, I could go to the hookah bar all day, but, you know, let's be honest, who are you going to find at a hookah bar? I mean, if you do find someone, it's most likely a one-night stand type of situation because they don't care enough. Well, and even then, you can't say anything about it either. Yeah. Then you'll get in trouble. So, you know, so they you they want you to being secretive. Yeah, they they want you to be a normal functioning part of society. But they take everything away from you. Yeah, they won't let you do what society does anymore. It becomes well, criminal just, to just be normal. That's becomes criminal to just have normal human nature. I mean, sex is that's it's, the most it's, natural it's part it gets. Of, it's part of a relationship. Whether it's all the time or hardly ever, you know, it still founds part of the relationship. Yeah. And it's it's just well, something you're too, not allowed to do. They're taking away your your ability to conceive, yeah. to have children. I mean, because I mean, you're a guy, so I guess it's a little different, but. Once you get to a certain point of life, like, you can't have kids no more. So, I mean, if somebody wanted to, you know, have kids at one point in their life, then your government's essentially telling you no. You don't well, have that I mean, right. That's that's the other thing that I've never... I've never asked about it, but I've always had questions. Was, you know, say you do get into a relationship and you do get to that point where you're allowed to have sex... Are you allowed to have kids? Because you you're a registered conceive? sex offender. Yeah. You know, are you 
I mean, there's workarounds to be around certain children. You have to have consent forms signed yeah, from both parents. Yeah, I know parents. if it's like, if it's family or something, it's a little bit easier. A, a little. A little bit, but. Um, you know, I can't go to my best friend's house right now. Because his, his girlfriend yeah. gave birth yesterday. So until I get a consent form to be around that child and that consent form approved, I just, I can't go over there. I can't go see my biggest social support because of their um, rules and dictations. When you initially got charged, did a lot of people drop you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you you really find out who your real friends are. Um you know, it was, I was a little surprised because it didn't blow up on Facebook as big as I thought it had. Um, but talking to people one-on-one, there, were, there was a lot of emotion and a lot of concern. And people were just blown away and taken back and scared and angry. And I had so many people just disappear. Sorry, there's people outside. That's why I keep that curtain closed. (laughs) But yeah, there's there's so many people that I thought were friends that I just lost. You know, I had I had the chance for a really good relationship, um, and one of her friends had brought up the original article which says rape, not battery with intent. And she freaked out on me and called me a liar and I haven't seen her in over a year because, you know, someone pointed out something that wasn't the case but was still part of my charge. And I lost... Every every chance I had with her. Yeah. So I know that we're coming down to time here soon. And I just wanted to ask, because I know you said that, you know, you know what you did wasn't necessarily right. And, you know, you've gone through counseling. But if there was, if you couldn't change, you know, what you did, but if you could change something in the process that happened afterwards what's something that you would want to change? Uh, What do you mean by that? In terms of how the state or whoever handled the situation, what's something in the process that you think needs changed the most? Whether it be, you know, the way that, you know, they handled the court case or the way your parole is, anything. Honestly, I would want want to see change in the aftercare and the treatment system because like I said they have almost as much power as your probation officer you know you can't you can't disclose something to your counselor without them relaying it immediately to your PO there's no trust there you know at least if I go talk to my PO I can say this is what happened here's my side of the story it's not relayed through a counselor or through a third party. Um, 
and that actually happened recently. I had a, a screw up. Um, I got a parole violation and my counselor asked me if there was something she wanted, I wanted to talk about because a detective had gotten a hold of my counselor. And I told her, no, I want to talk to my PO first. Mm-hmm. You know, I want him to hear it from me, not from you. Um, and I, I really think it went better in that situation because he's the one in charge of my life right now, not her. But she still has the power to yeah. hinder it. Oh, yeah. I see. So. I talked to my dad, who's a sex crimes detective, and he, he uh, talked about how there are quite a few charges like this that happen to people around that age. And uh, there is something potentially coming down the pipeline for legislation that will change that or maybe adjust it to where... Federally or in Arizona? I think it might have only been in Arizona, but I don't know. They'll change it to um, a potentially more leniency on this type of thing. Yeah, um, I I can't say whether or not that would help, but I, I mean, think it, it wouldn't help you personally because you've already been through this. But yeah. people who may be in the position where they're nineteen and their girlfriend's seventeen or something like that. Well, and that's. I think that's part of the dumb thing because I was younger when I was dating an adult and they, at one point, they tried to say that I was sexually molested. But I knew what I was doing. You were still consenting. Yeah. But I was a minor at the time. And honestly, I think there just needs to be more awareness around that age range that hey this is everybody in this room has been in a situation that could have landed them in your position yeah Yeah. and it it, maybe me it just needs to be for sure me more aware i was past the romeo and juliet laws well i was um just personal experience here like i said earlier i was in a relationship with someone older and technically an adult when i was a teenager and you know i was doing things me, myself, personally, that would have gotten me in trouble because of what I was doing and also gotten the other person in trouble. I won't give details, but but it's crazy to think that just somebody just, for lack of a better phrase, just tattletailing is all it would have taken for me to be a registered sex offender for anybody else here. Yeah. Yeah. And I honestly just think there needs to be more awareness especially in, you know, that junior and senior year of high school because it's such a common occurrence now. Well, we don't... I would say all throughout. When I was a junior, I met freshman girls. Well, I think it's one of those things, too, that, you know, we as a country don't talk about sex a lot, you know? Yeah. We Sex is like a taboo topic. It's not something that, you know, you're supposed to talk about as a teenager, even though when you're a teenager is really when you start getting those hormones and getting those feelings like I lost my virginity when I was 14 years old and you know I didn't know anything about anything at that time because nobody told me anything about anything yeah and I probably put myself in very dangerous situations because I didn't know 
because I never had had those conversations with people. I got into toxic relationships for the same reasons. Yeah, I mean, I remember it wasn't until my senior year that they had me in sex ed. I can't. I mean, I was was 17, 18 at the time. I never had sex ed. Yeah, it was health. It wasn't specifically sex ed. And I can also tell you that me personally, my experience is a little different because I also spent time in Catholic school, in high school. And what they teach you there is wild, bro. It's wild. <laughs> they, um, it's, it's abstinence-only teaching. That's all they teach you is abstinence. So they don't teach you anything about your body. They don't teach you anything about, you know, safe sex or anything like that. They just tell you it's bad. Don't do it. Yeah, but Catholics are all about having a bunch of kids, too. Yeah, they don't believe in birth control either. So I didn't have any conversations about birth control or, you know, safe sex or, you know, what's what consent is. And, you know, and I think if we had those conversations earlier, you know, and I think if it was more of a societal standard, then we wouldn't have as many people in your situation that we do. I feel like even in the sex uh, sex education, there there weren't even classes. There were like seminars Oh, yeah. Once every year, maybe. One of the yeah. wildest things that I ever experienced in Catholic school was an anti-abortion seminar. <laughs> Man, it's just the way that they talk about it in such like a closed mindset, you know, like it's just, it's bad regardless. It doesn't matter what happened. And the, no matter what situation you present to them, they will find a way to twist it in a way that you're you're bad if you decide to do it this way. Or you're you're a sinner or whatever you way you want to phrase it, but the other thing that came to mind uh, when we initially discussed this was how how different your world mentality is at, as a 19 year old kid. Like you're not thinking about stuff like that. You're still a kid. Yeah, I mean, you I just was, you I crossed over the age barrier, but and I don't think like people who are maybe like 30 or 40 like watching this might think oh well he's an adult but they don't remember they don't remember their mentality as a teenager that young you're still a teenager at 19 yeah you know you're you're right at that point where you're fresh out of high school maybe you've got a year between you and high school and most of your friends are likely still in high school Yeah, yeah you're still hanging out with that same age group my little that you're used to hanging out with. My little brother just turned 18. He's about to be 19 in December and I've told him so many times it was like especially just because only because he's a guy, he's in more danger than like I was when I was his age doing things that I necessarily shouldn't have been doing sexually. Like him because specifically because he has a girlfriend that is, you know, underage but he's an adult now. I've had to tell him so many times, you know, like he had picture like on Snapchat of him like kissing her. And I was like, you can't do that. No, like you, you have to be careful. Like, yeah, I guess like her mom's cool and all now, like, but you make one wrong move, you do something wrong and you're going to be a sex offender for the rest of your life. Regardless of how your girlfriend may feel about you. It doesn't matter. She's still a child. That's, that's where it goes back to that awareness. Yeah. But, you know, he's not thinking about that. He's just thinking about getting laid, you know? Yeah. 
as 18 year olds do. So what, I guess, from this whole whole process, what did you expect to gain from it? Uh, Just having a voice in the community. Um, You know, I know my grandmother's written the senator, and I have one of her rough drafts here, but just trying to get the word out that we're not treated equally anymore and we're not treated properly even if we follow all the rules and what would you say to the people who even after watching this entire episode still dehumanize you for what you've done how would you change their perspective i don't know if you can you know people are always going to be people but you know the the one thing i would say is not to judge a book by its cover you know the the first thing you think might not be the truth usually not at what point at what point do you gain forgiveness you know like at what point do that does that one mistake no longer like define you especially if you're on the registry for life and potentially on probation for life well it 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 all depends i mean you can work for the rest of your life to try and forgive yourself for what you've done and that's what they try and teach us but you know forgiving having others forgive you for what you've done is never easy um you know there's nothing you can do or say to make them forgive you it's all on your actions and how you treat the world and yourself well Thank you for, you know, letting us come here and sharing your, your story. story yeah. yeah. I mean, it's 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 nice to be able to get it out and actually talk about it with, you know, open-minded people that aren't going to go report to my PO. About, yeah. Yeah, I get you. Was there any last thoughts or anything you wanted to share before we wrap everything up don't have sex with a minor (laughs) (laughs) that's good advice yeah you heard it here it's never (laughs) worth it don't risk it man government will find you okay well yeah thank you for sharing your story um it's heavy yeah it's a lot to it changes your whole life yeah it it Every certainly it, it changes the way you think even you know you're so preoccupied with staying out of trouble now that it's hard to just sit back and enjoy life but you know it's something people need to be aware of thanks again for sharing your story yeah. yeah. To find more episodes of Your Thoughts, uh, Thoughts Podcast, you can find us on Spotify, Google Play, uh, uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, YouTube. Check us out. Thank you for watching. Thank you. And thank you, guys. <laughs>